Welcome to another Schizo Radio MMA, talking UFC 292, August 19th in Boston. Al Jermaine Sterling defending his bantamweight bout against Sugar Sean O'Malley. Uh, also, what's next for Corey Sanhagen after his fight with Rob Font last week? Marab versus Hudo, could that be the next title eliminator? Title eliminator, number one contender spot for that bantamweight. Uh, okay, also Jake versus Nate in MMA. Uh, maybe a tag team, Paul Brothers versus Diaz Brothers, who knows, MMA or WWE-type match. I mean, whatever is interesting, anything's going to be interesting to those those guys. Dylan Dennis versus Logan Paul in boxing on the undercard of KSI versus Tommy Fury. October 14th was just announced, so that's going to be nuts. Um, also, there's three new rules as far as eye pokes in the UFC, and uh, I'll get into that. And uh, John Jones was seen... He, he posted f- footage on his Instagram channel uh, rolling with Gordon Ryan training. So it looked like a little fun 20 seconds, a little clip that shoot, I want to see more. I mean, who doesn't want to see that? So, yeah, let's just get into it. Um, start off probably with the, the rule changes here. We got rule number one addresses the five-minute recovery time for a fighter cut by a foul. The rule clarification now allows a cut man to enter the cage and tend to the wound during this period offering better support to the injured fighter. Rule number two concerns referee positioning after a foul. Referees now have the discretion to position fighters uh, appropriately after a foul to ensure neither gains an unfair advantage nor suffers a disadvantage from the incidents. And rule number three focuses on cooperation between ringside doctors and referees after an eye poke or any other foul. The clarification emphasizes that doctors should not ask fighters immediately if they can see after an eye poke since vision often returns with a bit of time to recover. This ensures that fighters are given the appropriate five-minute break to recover from an eye poke incident. So this uh, right here is like, like rule number one. I think let's go one by one right here. The recovery time for a fighter cut by a foul. Like, it's cool that now that you can actually get a cut man in there, look at the cut, work on it, since you do have five minutes. I mean, that's one thing that's always kind of bothered me, and I, I, I said something pretty recently about it, how right away, as soon as there's a foul, the ref's jumping in there, doctors or whatever, they're right away checking them and basically say, yeah, you got five minutes, but, like, every 10 seconds, are you okay? You okay? You ready? You know? So, I mean, this, this is good right here because now it's letting – it's just better for the injured fighter. I mean, he got fouled. Why should he have to beat? Now he has the pressure of the crowd booing and everything else. But now this gives him recovery time and let the doctor in that five minutes work on it. Like, you know, why have to wait until in between rounds? You got fouled and the cut might just get worse if there's two, three minutes left in the round. You're taking more damage there. I feel like this is a good this is a good idea. I like all three rules, actually. Like rule number two, like it, it goes as far as like the fighter, like, you might get an advantageous position by committing a foul. Like if you're like on the, you know, there's an eye poke or, or just whatever a fence grab that, that uh, maybe uh, negates a takedown. You know, you're grabbing the fence, you don't get taken down. That you know, but then the ref comes and breaks it up. All like, hey, let go of the fence, gives you a warning. But at the same time, if you're about to get taken down, you know, the the fighter who commits the foul, he just he got an advantage right there because he didn't want to get taken down. So he was trying to, he committed a foul to not get taken down or whatever the, the foul is. So now it's like the referee will, you know, the guy who gets fouled won't lose a good position. And the guy who, you know, commits the foul is going to get in a, a disadvantage and be at a disadvantage because of that foul. And that, that's good. I mean, if they have to go back to the replay and look at it, whatever they got to do to like say, okay, this is where they were at, put them right back here. I think that makes sense. And rule number three is actually my favorite because it's, it's, it says a minute and a half has to go by after an eye poke before the doctor can get in there and be like, hey, can you see how many figures are holding up all that? Because I think this kind of – I think this rule came about big time because of the, the last fight with Bobby Green and Tony Ferguson where, you know, uh, Bobby Green you know, accidentally or incidentally poked Tony Ferguson in the first round. And you could tell it seriously affected him. You know, like all the way up throughout the fight, because in the second round, he was still like kind of like messing with his eye a little bit. You could tell it was, it was bothering him still. 
you know, um, but honestly, like Dan Murgliata did do a good job in that fight. He gave all the time in the world to Tony. You know, the doctor did jump in right away and all that. So that's pressure to that fighter. You got crowd booing. You got the doctor over here, like almost like making you make a decision right there and then. Like you might not be able to see right after an eye poke. Give him some time. You have five minutes to recover. You know, after that five minutes, you can't recover. Then the doctor should be able to stop it, but not right there and then. You know, just by rules. No one ever takes the full five minutes. And even Tony, like Dan, Dan was like, "Are you sure you're ready? You need more time. You have plenty of time." You know, Tony's a warrior that he is. Is like, let's just go. And that he might have thought he had Bobby Green hurt a lot more than he was. So. He wanted to get right back at it. But um, but the, I like that rule because that's something that definitely, like, I was always complaining about, like, ah, you start asking him right away, you okay, you okay? Give him some time to recover first, you know? I mean, God, you just got poked in the eye. You got, like, a freaking knuckle in the eye, whatever. I mean, like, your knuckle deep, you know, finger in there, that hurts. So, I mean, that's definitely something that... uh that had to be addressed and I'm glad that they did something to that rule set. It's finally, you know, it's been a long time coming in my opinion, you know, as far as that, it's the eye pokes, even with the new gloves, the eye pokes haven't really, they're still been happening, but I think this is kind of give it a little, this will kind of give it a little more protection for the, the, the fighter that was actually, you know, that got fouled. You know what I mean? So now this actually helps him recover a little longer. I, I think, too, at the fans, the more educated, you know, UFC fans are pretty educated. This They'll know this rule. They'll kind of know, you know, okay, what's going, you know, that they won't boo as much. You know, you still get the drunk guys who are booing, boo, boo, whatever. And they could be, it's it could be they're booing the guy who committed the foul or they committed, or it's almost like, you know, they want you to just start fighting again. Like they think, you're, you know, it's your fault that you got fouled and they, they just want you to just fight no matter what, like real machines or like they're machines or something. But, but yeah, I like the new rule set. Tell me what you guys think. Um, and that brings us to the uh, next topic is Aljo versus uh, Sean O'Malley at August 19th in Boston. I mean, Aljo, this, I think this fight could go like one of the three ways. I mean, I see it either Sean O'Malley, because he, I feel like Sean O'Malley's stand-up is very dangerous. He's going to be a lot longer. He's got four-inch height advantage, reach only an inch or so, but leg reach, it seems like only an inch. Aljo is pretty long for his, for his height and that weight, but Sean O'Malley, I mean, he's, he's huge. You know what I'm saying? I don't know how much weight he cuts. He said he don't cut much, maybe like 20, 25 pounds. I don't know. It seems like a lot to me, but, but uh, I don't know what he walks around at. He seems a little thinner, but uh, he definitely has some power and, and on the feet O'Malley, that's like I said, that's the one way I could see this fight going is O'Malley TKO and Aljo hurting him on the feet, rocking him, And then just Aljo not being able to get the takedown that he needs or the control, which, you know, we've seen Aljo get hurt before and stuff happened. We've seen him get knocked out like, like quick, you know, or something like that. And that, that'd probably be the best bet for O'Malley. I think the first or second round, maybe, you know, be, before Aljo can get to him and start wearing out, gassing out his arms and, and just putting a, a pace on O'Malley with the grappling exchanges that could hurt O'Malley. O'Malley, I, th- I believe is a purple belt in jiu-jitsu. So, I mean, and he's long. So, I mean, he's tr- kind of could be tricky, you know, if he's off his back, throwing up submissions and doing stuff. But if he gives up his back against Aljo, Aljo's showing that he probably has if not one of the best, if not the best backpack, you know, games in UFC, in MMA period, in fighting. Like, when he gets your back, it's usually done. I mean, he it's only a matter of a time. He's really good at it, and he's good at, he's great at getting to that position. He wrestled college, you know, has an extensive, he's, his jiu-jitsu, like, he's been able to, you know, tr- he's able to transition and incorporate both of them together, wrestling and jiu-jitsu better than a lot of people. And, uh, and I think that's due to his camp. I mean, he's at Ray Longo's gym. He's got Matt Sarah. He's got all these guys there training with a training partner. Number one guy is probably Marab, who's we'll talk about in a bit. But, you know, we got Marab. We got these guys, all these insane pace. You know, Aljo's going to be Jack cutting 30 pounds, already looks shredded. You know, he's going to go in there with this, probably a, a strength advantage besides just the grappling you know, I mean, mostly grappling-wise, I, I would think power advantage as far as on the feet definitely has to go to O'Malley. Like I said, he's tricky in there. I like his faint game. You know, he's long, like I said, and he's not afraid to pull the trigger, but he might be if he's that fearful of Aljo's takedown game. And, 
it's an interesting matchup. Like, so one way I could see O'Malley, he'd have to TKO, I think, uh, Aljo. I don't think he wins a decision there because Aljo is going to get takedowns. There's no way he's not, unless Sean O'Malley just blasts him and, you know, and does something crazy and just really cheered up his takedown defense. But the other way is I, I would say Aljo winning a decision. I think that that's likely. Five rounds is a long time, though. If he does get that backpack position, I don't it might be really hard for uh, Sean O'Malley to survive five rounds of that or just for long periods of time with Aljo on your back. It might not be good for him. So I think that's also very uh, telling in this fight, what happens. Like, Aljo gets that takedown immediately. It could be a wrap if he gets his back. For sure, it's probably a wrap. I mean, so that's the other, the third way I see Aljo winning. I don't see him TKO in O'Malley or anything like that. I feel like it'll be a first or second round rear naked choke. He's going to get that backpack and he's going to end up choking him. So, I mean, that's the one thing I don't see him doing it in the later rounds as possible. You know, I think just anytime Aljo is going to be on his back is going to be like super dangerous. And, uh, that's, that's my take on the fight so far. I mean, like I said, I like O'Malley. I like to see him do well. I mean, he has a good record himself. Only one loss, you know, uh, did well against Peter Yan like that. Fight could have went either way. A lot of people thought uh, Jan won the fight, but O'Malley showed a lot of toughness and heart and was able to survive ground and pound, which I don't know if Aljo's going to bring the same ground and pound as more as he's going to be trying to hold position more to try to to improve his position to the back take. And um, so who knows? He might use ground and pound to get there. You know, if O'Malley's just got to not give up his back, you know, and if he could stay in guard and just make Aljo work, then who knows? I mean, both of you guys got pretty good gas tanks. So I don't see Aljo gas very often. He did a little bit against in the first fight against Jan, but he was taking a lot of damage as well. So, and Sean O'Malley showed that he could even stand up with Peter Jan, which everyone thought was pretty much the best striker in the division. And you got O'Malley kind of landing a lot of damage on Jan. So, I mean, I could see if damage trumps all, you could give that fight to O'Malley. You know, it was close. It was close. You know, it was either two one either way. You know, so it wasn't like total domination by both guys. I, they both had moments, you know, but O'Malley did put a lot of damage out there on Jan whenever he did land. So we'll see what happens with that fight. I'm interested in that one. That's going to be a good one. And, uh, yeah, um, so that's there. So that brings us to, like, what's next for Corey Sanhagen? You know, I mean, he just fought Rob Fine to a, a decision in, uh, what was that, last Saturday, uh, a decision that, you know, I don't really – it wasn't the most fan to say the very least, it wasn't the most fan favor, uh, friendly fight or exciting or entertaining fight. Like, like I said, in the previous video, like the bo boxing, uh, Jake Paul versus Nate Diaz kind of card actually outshined the UFC's card that night. Not that usually most people would whether watch the UFC over boxing, you know, at least MMA fans. But, but when it comes to that night, it was just, Sanhagen put on a kind of a snooze fest, but now he's revealed that he did have an injury in the first round with torn tricep, which, uh, I mean, obviously that could affect him. Maybe holding him down might be even harder. So it's kind of, it's impressive what he did. I mean, he dominated Rob Fine, 50-45, short notice opponent, catch weight at 140. Um, at first, originally I had thought just Sanhagen missed weight, but I guess uh, Rob Fine had actually asked for a, a, a lesser weight cut just because it's short notice for him, even though he was, I think he was prepping for a fight, but uh, whatever, they weren't prepping for each other. So, um, so yeah, that was, um, that was that. So, so Sanhagen, he, honestly, Sanhagen is, I mean, he, he, he said it on Ariel yesterday that he might be out six months with that injury. I tore my bicep before and, it took about, I was out of work probably for about that long, five, six months. And I mean, I work at UPS, obviously, so it's a lot of lifting and all that. But I'm thinking for Sanhagen, that's really going to put him, he might have to fight Umar after all. Umar uh, Nurmagomedov, uh, Khabib's cousin. He might have to go back to the fight, which was his original opponent opponent in that, you know, instead of Rob Font. But uh, he might have to go back and do that. And it sucks because, yeah, he does deserve it. He has dominated his last you know, his last fights. Marlon Vera, he dominated. This last fight, Rob Font, he dominated. Played it safe, a lot of people say. Dominated. Font had moments in the first and first minute and a half, maybe, you know, when they was standing a lot more. But, I mean, this is really going to put him back because you figure if you're going to be out six months, does that mean you're ready to fight in six months right after your surgery? Or it means are you able to start training hard after a few months? I mean, it's going to take time. I mean, 
to test it, like like any injury, like it's not going to be that easy to just go out there and just get into a training camp for against the number one guy in the world, either or either O'Malley or Aljo in that fight. So I'm kind of thinking what's next for Corey is he's just going to have to rest and kind of wait and see how this plays out because next weekend is the fight for the bantamweight. And uh, I'm sure maybe the winner of that might have want another fight by the end of the year if Aljamain even stays in the division because even if he wins, he might go up to uh, 145 and try to challenge himself against Volk because, you know, the weight cuts tough for him. He's cutting a lot of weight. He's jacked. And, and plus, Marab, like his one of his main training partners and teammates, is right there knocking on the door for the title shot too. Like, those two should actually be fighting over O'Malley. But I get it. O'Malley is a huge name. Marab had a, I think he had a little bit of an injury at the time of that, and they don't want to fight each other. So that's uh, that's just the matchup that's made now. And that kind of puts Corey at the back burner. And it puts, uh, I think, Cejudo versus Marab. I mean, if Cejudo was injured, they were going to fight, I think, or they're talks of it anyway. But I think Cejudo had a little injury or something like that. Um, so that put him out. But I think that Marab versus Cejudo might be the, the next number one contender fight for the band and weight strap. And um, honestly, it might even be for an interim if Aljo does beat Sean O'Malley and, and just vacate the bout like, and go up to featherweight. You know, so if he does that, then that could be an interim title. Uh, instead of a title eliminator, that could be for an interim bout, which it does kind of screw over Corey. But at the same time, it's like the division has to move on. We're going to wait six months for a possible contender who, yes, deserves it. But at the same time, it's like if it's against Aljo, Aljo kind of destroyed Corey within a minute of their fight, choked him out. So, I mean, it's it's not that wouldn't be the most intriguing matchup, I think. You know what I mean? But we got a lot of killers moving up in that division. And uh, I think Cejudo Marab, that would be a crazy matchup right there because you got wrestler versus another wrestler, grappler. I think one thing Marab training with in the Ray Longo team under Matt Serra, all these killers over there, as far as jiu-jitsu and wrestling, I think he'll, he'll have a little bit of advantage as far as Cejudo. Cejudo hasn't showed so much uh, as far as the jiu-jitsu game. You know, wrestling, yeah, he, he it's going to be tough for Marab to take down Cejudo, but if you're talking 40-some takedown attempts or 50 in a fight, I don't know if he'll do that much against Cejudo. But, uh, you know, Aljo was able to take down Cejudo. That's Marab's teammate. He's a little shorter, might even be able to get under Cejudo because they're about the same size, I think. And he might be able to get that takedown, you know. And the, the way the when you use a cage, it's MMA wrestling versus uh, Olympic caliber wrestling. And we saw what Aljo was able to do and have success against Cejudo. Cejudo came in and, what, you know, I'm an Olympic style wrestler. There's no way he can take me down. I'm going to do this and that. But like I said in the previous videos, like Cejudo isn't like, or just you, uh, Olympic wrestling doesn't always translate the best as someone who just went through extensive college, you know, folk style type wrestling so I mean who knows and and just the way he already has so much experience under the tutelage of like the great Ray Longo and Matt Serra you're gonna have you know they already have and they have other guys who've wrestled they have transitioned like Chris Weidman Aljo all these guys who wrestled in college and transitioned to and you see their transitions to jujitsu wise and submissions it's great it's like Sambo type guy you know these guys are almost doing like Sambo because that's the thing with Sambo it's like a mixture of everything not that they're using those exact techniques but if you notice these guys like say Khabib um uh Khabib Makachev a lot of these top guys the Dagestani style wrestlers but also with the Sambo background they're able to transition from wrestling and takedowns to submissions really well and I think that's the same kind of with Ray Longo I mean in that gym they're all killers there they all have that kind of style where they can wrestle and also get submissions get the rear nakeds everybody there you know so i mean yeah so i don't know that's that's going to be interesting to see how that plays out the bantamweight division and we got to wait and see what happens obviously august 19th you know without joe and o'malley so we'll find out there because what if he just says right there i'm vacating the belt now we got to wait six months for a number one contender to come back for it i don't think so Especially if Marab and Cejudo are both healthy by the end of the year, that's going to happen. There's no way. Don't try to stop it. No, it's going to happen. Yeah, so, I mean, interesting times. Um, then we got Jake versus Nate in MMA. They're talking that. I mean, Jake Paul just, I mean, he won convincingly. 
because say he dominated Nate, it made Nate look bad, but we kind of know Nate doesn't have the most technical, pretty looking style. You know, he does, you know, he has his unique style that's effective. I mean, he threw a hundred less and landed only what 30 or 40 less than Jake. So Jake was, you know, unloading with the power shots, landing a lot of big power shots and it looks better. He's been trained up by boxing, but we also had Nate had some volume himself, which was kind of, like I said, it's impressive of Jake Paul to out volume Nate Diaz. I mean, and get out there and, and all you're doing is throwing punches. Then he actually outworked and out volumed and out. I want to say he did out cardio. Both guys were there at the end. Jake was, you could tell he was struggling, but he, he learned his, he showed a lot of composure and fought through you know, the cardio issue is having or fatigue. And plus, luckily for him, Nate's not the biggest puncher. You know, he was landing some big shots, some nice uppercuts. Both of the guys were landing some shots on each other, and he was able to weather that. So in MMA, who knows what happens if they fight in PFL? I mean, I think that would be the move for Nate. I mean, unless he wants to just go rematch in boxing again. But I don't know if Jake wants to do that as well. There's also Logan Paul factor, Nick Diaz even going in there. So afterwards, you know, I don't know if he was buzzing or what, but Nick Diaz was basically saying he was better than both both of those guys that night and was and ready to get in the ring with either Jake or Logan. So it's kind of like uh, that, that could be something interesting. Like this is just the idea I had was like a tag team, Paul brothers versus the Diaz brothers. I, I feel like a tag team could work in any sport, honestly, if you think about it with those guys. They're kind of a little interchangeable, you know, like what if it is a boxing match and, Nate is getting worked and the end of the round, all right, tech, switch it off for the next round. Something different, you know. They can pull it off because they both have their own promotions. You know, you got MVP and you got real fight. So, I mean, you got all this. They could make up their own rules as long as they get it sanctioned or whatever. So, I mean, it's still going to play under the rules, but they can do some WWE stuff. Logan, flying, he's flying from the top rope. I mean, he transitioned into WWE perfectly, better than anyone, better than Ronda Rousey. Better. I mean, Ronda Rousey's doing her thing. I won't label her out or pick on her, but there's a lot of MMA guys who went, or fighters that went over to it that didn't do as well. And Logan's, you know, just being a great athlete, you know, I think it was fourth in the state in wrestling, you know, training boxing, know some jiu-jitsu, all that stuff. So he'd been training some MMA stuff as well. Now he's doing WWE and just was able to transition into that sport and looking like he's a basically a prodigy in that, you know, looking like he's been doing it his whole life. So, I mean, that's something that interests me. You know, like, I wouldn't mind seeing, like, some type of t weird tag team match. WWE, even if it's WWE. I don't watch WWE anymore, but but I don't know. I don't think the Diaz's would be down for that because it is a fake fight, fake scenario. So maybe they wouldn't be down for something like that. And, yeah, that kind of makes sense. But even in MMA, whatever it is, getting your butt kicked, tag out. You know, if Nick Diaz or Nate Diaz is getting smashed or vice versa or even have it rounds where it's a couple falls, not just one fall. Like, say, first round comes in. Nick Diaz or, you know, Nate or whoever's in there taps out Jake immediately, go go to three falls, you know, so each guy, I mean, just some weird rules. I could see something like that happening, but they could make it happen because either it would be in the PFL, but they also could co-promote in their own thing and just make it just, I'm pretty sure Jake has a, a contract with PFL where he has, obviously he just fought Nate outside of there in boxing. So, I mean, he, he, there's some leniency there for him to do some stuff. And, uh, and Nate could just do whatever the hell he wants, basically. Because even with the loss he had Saturday, he really didn't lose. Like, sometimes when you lose, you really win. That's Nate Diaz. You know what I mean? No matter what. So matter, And then there's sometimes, no matter what you do, you really win. Because Nate Diaz took a beating somewhat, took some hard shots, got dropped. But uh, never really seen him that rocked I, other than uh, when he fought uh, uh, Stephen – or not uh, Stephen Thompson. <laughs> other when he fought – Thompson, Thompson, right? It was Thompson, not Stephen Thompson. Uh, I can't think of his name right now. I can picture his face. Uh, but anyway, I'll get back to that. Um, but he hasn't been hurt very often. You know, usually he's like just straight zombie mode, and he was that night because he was getting rocked with plenty everything Jake had, and he kept coming forward, kept uh, walking him down basically. Yeah, so that that's that's something interesting. But it was just announced today. I seen MMA Junkie on Instagram that Dylan Dennis is fighting Logan Paul in boxing. So that could kind of put it, you know, not the whole tag team thing. Or Nick Diaz is kind of that kind of cuts him out of it because, you know, just because that if he's going to fight Dylan Dennis, if the, Dylan Dennis shows up, I, everyone always has to put that disclaimer on there because he was scheduled to fight KSI before. 
earlier this year and pulled out of the fight. But I get it. Like, regardless, he's saying that, you know, he didn't, regardless of how he trolls on Twitter, he wasn't training with people like that. Since then, I've seen, you know, he didn't have a, like a, a dedicated training camp for him or all this gym or whatever, other than I know he trains uh, out in Ireland with uh, SGV, what is it called? No, whatever it is. Yeah, out in Ireland with uh, Connor's team, but as far as just a boxing camp dedicated to him, he wasn't having that. I've seen him, he's trained somewhat with Alex Bahia. That's some trying to shore up some wrestling and jiu-jitsu stuff with him. And maybe, maybe I mean, I'm sure they've showed some sparring, also stand-up, so I'm sure he's got some tips there. But that's kickboxing, not boxing. So, I mean, I would think he would have to get into a dedicated boxing-only training camp for this if he wants to fight Logan, because Logan's been boxing just as long or longer than Jake. About the same time, I guess, a few, four years, three, four years. And although he's not as good as Jake, he's been in there with Floyd Mayweather and and gave it his all. You know, yeah, he didn't really land a clean shot on Floyd, other maybe one, but, you know, like not too many, but still he was able to at least keep his composure and hang in there and put on a sh and try to put on a show at least, you know, so under the big stage. So, I mean, he's used to that. Dylan hasn't fought in a while. Could definitely be something that could play into it. There's going to be a lot more pressure on Dylan because he hasn't fought in so long. You know, he has fought MMA and jiu-jitsu, you know, black belt under Marcelo Garcia, the late or the great, I mean, Marcelo Garcia. So, I mean, that's, yeah, so I don't know. We'll see what's up with that one. Um, so that fight's going to be on the undercard of KSI and Tommy Fury, which both those guys are also in the running for the Jake Paul fight, you know, like, you know, calling each other out, those three. Like, so Jake actually has, he has KSI to choose from. Whoever wins that or Tommy Fury, if he wants, they get that rematch. Or Nate Diaz, go make a bag and PFL or MMA or whatever they're going to do. So that's that's his options there. Logan, you know, I mean, it's interesting. It's interesting there. You know, KSI versus Tommy Fury. You know, they're all kind of in. It's kind of funny because even Dylan's in that mix. You know, like he was supposed to fight KSI, and they're all just like internet type trolls as well as you know fighters. Even though Dylan hasn't fought in a while, so he's definitely got to get his butt in shape for that. Connor did tweet something like, "They just don't know" or something like that. It's time to show him like what's up. Like you know, like saying I guess trying to say that Dylan has some hands, but we'll have to wait and see. I mean. And uh, also, lastly, we've seen John Jones and Gordon Ryan. John Jones released on Instagram 20 seconds of him rolling with Gordon Ryan. And, I mean, it, look, it, look, I just want to see more. You know, like, John Jones, it's obviously playful. He's huge. And uh, he, you know, a lot as far as the height and advantage and all that, but also Gordon Ryan's a freaking prodigy. He's a beast himself. He's huge. He's a strong, best jiu-jitsu guy in the world right now. So John Jones was able to take him down in the footage they showed. And then he got to like some side control position, but crafty as Gordon is, he rolls out of it. And then they're just kind of just up uh, and it stops. So it's very like a 20 second clip of them kind of going at it, just starting on the feet. John Jones getting a takedown and just, you know, but then Gordon rolling out of that position and, and then back to neutral. So, I mean, that's interesting. I, I wonder if they're going to, but that just shows right there that John Jones, could we see a possible heel hook or leg attacks against Stipe? You know, because that's what, you know, I mean, if he's training with the great Gordon Ryan, I mean, they're known for that. That's Dan and her death squad's top guy right there. Leg locks or, you know, they got Gary Tone in there, Eddie Cummings. They got some killers with leg locks there. So, and GSP also training their uh, Dan and her a lot. So, I mean, you got John Jones learning from those masters you know, leg lockers, Stipe. I mean, I don't think his leg lock games like that. He's just, he's rounded everywhere. Like Stipe, I think in the boxing range, Stipe will have a better advantage than John Jones. I think he ha he hits harder, the one punch type knockout power and just, just actual, just boxing. But, you know, I think the way the fight IQ and the wrestling probably will cancel each other out. I mean, Stipe might try to uh, wrestle John Jones. It won't be that easy to take down. Cormier couldn't take him down. I mean, I don't see a situation unless Stipe can land something on the the feet, you know, with his hands and then maybe get a takedown, you know, use the cage or whatever to drag John down or get on those legs, you know, chicken leg type thing. But same time, like I said, John Jones is a master at using his reach and range. High, highest fight IQ probably ever. And that's why, like, he pretty much is the best ever. So, I mean, I think he'll be able to stay out of the, whatever range Steve A wants to be in. And if it goes to the grappling, maybe he goes down for just shoots a freaking heel hook on 
on Stipe. So hopefully, you know, if he's working with that, maybe he's just even thinking grappling. Maybe he wants to try and grapple Stipe, which Stipe is a big, strong guy. I haven't really seen anyone really take him down. Maybe DC. I think they had some takedowns. But um, not too many people would take down Stipe and hold him down. He's a he's a Division One wrestler himself out of Ohio. So that's going to that's gonna be an interesting matchup. I think Stipe is probably the toughest matchup for John Jones in in heavyweight besides maybe like a Sergey, but I don't think Sergey would have the wrestling game to deal with John Jones other than huge power and range, you know, reach, which is dangerous. Heavyweight's a lot different. Guys aren't as huge and aren't as athletic maybe or quick and stuff like that, but they all have those one, the majority have the one hitter quitters where it could be over in, in any time when anything lands and Sergey, he's explosive and huge and, and if he touches that chin, who knows, with anyone's chin. So there's always that possibility, you know what I mean? But John Jones has faced big punchers before. So is a big puncher himself, a little older. He hasn't fought in a while. Um, could be a retirement fight for both guys or if they want. I mean, they probably could go a little longer. But I think John Jones, if he does that, he's just trying to cement his legacy as a double, you know, champ, champ. And, you know, if he beat the heavyweight, he's a light heavyweight GOAT or UFC GOAT. You know, in the running, either way, whatever. If he beats the heavyweight goat, then yeah, that definitely cements his legacy as the goat. I mean, it's hard to argue after that. You know, so I mean, that's that's what's coming up and uh, interesting times. Um, you got a lot of other stuff. DP at welterweight. Um, talking that. Let's see the rankings at welterweight, honestly, because I kind of want to see that. Um, I kind of want to see the rankings at welterweight. I want to see how. Um, I want to see how DP stacks up in the welterweight division. I mean, you got Leon Edwards as a champ. Um, I know. Hold on. Having a little technical difficulties here, but uh, yeah, all right. Well, I'll just go this way then. Welterweights. Obviously, you got Leon at the top. They're showing all three uh, right here. Well, you got Kamaru Usman, number one. Obviously, he just lost to, I mean, how does DP go against Usman? I think they're boys. They train together. I don't know if the, how that will work, how that dynamic would work into that. You got Kobe Covington, where they have beef. That that fight sells itself. DP versus Kobe Covington, that, that's that, that's right there. That has to happen, honestly, because <laughs> like, DP has said it's on site. So that could happen in the street, the gym, I mean, wherever the hell they see each other at freaking Home Depot, you know, or whatever. Black Angus, uh, Applebee's, I don't know. That could happen anywhere if that's on site. But if they're actually going to get paid for it, I mean, who wouldn't want to watch it? I mean, they got beef. I, I, You know, I don't know. Obviously, you have to favor Kobe. But as far as the hands on the feet, definitely Poirier, dude. I mean, he just has way better boxing, more knockout power. Kobe's more just a grinder. So, I mean, that's an interesting matchup. Bilal Muhammad, I mean, that's another guy who's basically a grappler who's gotten a lot better on the feet, DP. I think he matches up pretty well against him. Kamzat, I mean, that that guy, I think he's actually going to go up to middleweight. They have him at fourth, so he, his next fight's at middleweight against Paulo Costa, so that's not even... I don't know if he's even going to stay at welterweight. You know, he didn't make weight last time. Missed it by like eight, nine pounds. Gilbert Burns, that's a crazy matchup. I think they're boys too, but maybe, I mean, Burns, he's the type dude to fight anybody. So Burns and Poirier, that'd be a, that'd be a freaking slobber knocker. No, that'd be a crazy fight right there. Shafkat, he's huge. I mean, that's where it's kind of getting to like guys who are like middleweights, you know, uh, cutting down to welterweight. He's tall, lanky. I don't know how that matchup goes. Like I said, Poirier would be a lot smaller there, I think, than you think. I mean, he's a lot thicker. He's wide. But Stephen Wonderboy Thompson, Jeff Neal, that would be a crazy fight. Sean Brady. There's definitely some matchups here that could favor uh, DP. Uh, Vicente Luque, yeah, Brady, these type guys. There are some longer guys that probably could give him a lot of problems, though. We got, you know, Kevin Holland, Neil Magny, I mean, Wonderboy, Shavkat. I mean, there's not a... A lot of crazy favorable matchups i think for poirier looking at this division but i think if he, you know i think he's at the point now where it's fights that interest him you know like so if he is it's either going to be like against a, a high profile guy like he could definitely uh fight with leon edwards and you know and because that would be more of a stand-up fight which he wants and he'll probably have an advantage with the jujitsu game 
you know, maybe not so much kickboxing, but, you know, DP has leveled up his kickboxing game as well recently, you know, with his leg kicks and everything else. So that's definitely interesting. You know, um, there's some other stuff that I actually want to talk about right here. They still got Jamal Hill as champion here, which does make sense because he hasn't actually lost. So he still is a champ. He has a lot of beef going on with Ariel Hawani right now, uh, which uh, in my eyes, I think it's justified by from Hill, you know, like Ariel, I think just, I mean, he might be, some might see him as being a little sensitive and stuff like that or whatever, taking stuff a little more serious, but at the same time, he just, there's certain people that don't play. There's a lot of people that don't like Ariel or Nate Diaz, Nick Diaz brothers. I mean, Hill, those are just easy examples to say about real ones that aren't guys who are going to talk, you know, or, or they don't want their, you're not going to bait them into talking crap into sell a fight, Bobby Green, you know, about other fighters and stuff like that. These type of guys, they're just not going to do it. It's not in them. They'll fight anyone. They're down to fight with, but they don't like to be played with or trying to be manipulated or, but like Hill, you know, basically it was just a verbal exchange, which Ariel lost, you know, and Hill called him out on some stuff. And now they're going back and forth. Ariel went on a little rant on his show, you know, basically saying how Hill was wrong for thinking what he was thinking and that he's totally wrong. And this is not what he meant. And, you know, of course, he wants to smooth it over, you know, especially when, you know, Hill's like, I'll, you'll have to see me, you know, like, I will run into you and, you know, you'll be okay because I allow you to be okay, basically. So, because I'm a nice guy type thing. Otherwise, there's nothing you could do to stop me from doing what I want to do to you. Basically, you know, just letting him know, like, what everybody already knows, you know. So, it's like, I don't know. I, I think that feels like it could be squashed, but at the same time, I don't feel like Hill will ever really be just like okay ariel buddy buddy like there's some people that you know ariel over the years has become friends with and can joke around like that people do have different personalities and you mesh with different fighters in different ways but ariel this whole 10-7 he'll want anything and trying to verbally destroy fighters and make them look bad and stuff like that he was not the one to play for that for one he got a bullshit meter so he could see right through what you're saying that's just being from like you said, I am gangsta. You know, that's just being from his life experiences and, and people that and things he's been through to be able to see through your BS and know what you're really trying to do, your real agenda. And Hill's not playing that. And uh, and it, it kind of sucks this all this happened as far as light heavyweight. But with Alex Pahea in the division, that just opens things up. Like create as he beat Jan fair and square. It was a close fight. Could have went either way. I could see argument for Jan, but I wouldn't say robbery in either way. Alex came to fight. Jan came to kind of lay and pray, which we know in the new rules doesn't really matter anymore. If you're not doing damage, you know, other than the first round he, where he had a couple of submission attempts, you know, with the rear nakeds. Other than that, so did Pahea, though, with a standing guillotine, you know. So, I mean, you know what I mean? So they're, they're kind of, I mean, I could see that it was a 10-9, you know, for sure. You could almost argue 10-8, but from there on in, Jan was basically desperation takedown mode or trying to just lay on him when he could just to stall it or just not, not doing damage and not going for sub or even advancing position. So just showed a lot of improvement for Pahea. So, like, um, you know, the guy, uh, Magomed Aikolaev, he's the one kind of getting a – oh, he's actually got a fight against Johnny Walker, number seven. So, I mean, that's that kind of opens the door for Yuri – and Alex Pahea for that title fight at the end of the year. Hopefully, Yuri will be, you know, Alex Pahea will be down. He took no damage in that fight against Jan. He'll definitely be ready and down for that fight. Do not make this fight an elevation, whatever you do. You know, like, let's make this one right at sea level, whatever, you know, like, let's at the beach, you know, like both these guys, you know, tropical, they're warriors. Make this fight in the woods, wherever you want to make it, but make it at a where they could use, they don't. They're not going to guess. I mean, I don't see that fight, Yuri versus Pahea, going past, you know, going the distance anyway. There's just no way. I mean, both these guys are crazy strikers. Pahea, definitely a more decorated, high-level, you know, fundamentally sound uh, kickboxer. But Yuri's got game-changing power and weird orthodox, hands-down style that could end a fight at any time as well. Mostly all his wins are knockouts you know, finishes. So, I mean, that's, that's, that fights fireworks. Anyone can win that fight. All the top guys, honestly, well, between those three, anyway, Hill, Hill, Yuri, I, I could, I could see, 
either guy winning that. I could see Hill knocking out Yuri. I could see Hill knocking out Pahea. I could see Pahea maybe possibly knocking out uh, Hill. I mean, who knows? We haven't seen Hill really rock like that, rocked at all, I don't think. So it's kind of hard to see. He definitely has a good chin. Glover wasn't able to really hurt him or anything like that, you know. So, yeah, Ankolaev against – that's another guy, uh, Johnny Walker. You know, that's another guy who could freak of nature, like six, 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 seven, whatever he is, long limbs, huge power. That's another guy who could just, he could be a champ, you know, like, yeah, certain guys will beat him. He'll already knocked him out. That's where he did that, whoa, that little delayed reaction, you know, where he'll just trashed him, you know, <laughs> just knocked him out cold, and that was ugly. You got Anthony Smith in the mix, you know, Ozemir, Ryan Spann. So, yeah, there's there's some good matchups, you know, in the, like, light heavyweight j definitely leveled up with that. Jan, it's kind of who knows what's up with him next. Maybe he's going to fight a Rockich, you know, or somebody like that. I mean, Anthony Smith, I'm not sure. I mean, Reyes is kind of in there, but J Dustin Jacoby, top 15, he just won a fight, so he'll be moving up a bit. But, yeah, that's interesting in that division. Uh, also, you got uh, Adesanya still at the top of the middleweight, and uh, that's another one that's, you know, who's next for him. I'm not sure if it's – I'm not sure if it's set in stone yet for him or Sean Strickland. I think it is, like, they've talked about it, and it's most likely going to happen, like, the main thing. But they also have uh, Dreykus Duplessis, who's ranked number one right now after just finishing Robert Whitaker. So that's a new opponent in both Africa, Africa Unite, you know, for that fight. So, I mean, that's potentially the toughest matchup, I think, right now is Dreykus Duplessis for uh, Israel Adesanya, for Izzy. But he wasn't ready to do the quick turnaround in the fight. I'm not sure if it's Abu Dhabi or where uh, Israel wanted to fight, but Izzy. But it's going to be a little too soon for Dreykus. You know, he just fought, so... Now they're, they might be moving on for Strickland to take a short-notice fight in September, which uh, I believe is September 9th. I'm not sure exactly, but either way, Sean Strickland against uh, Izzy. I mean, yeah, it's an intriguing buildup and stuff like that, and it'll be a quick buildup if it's a short-notice fight. So maybe that's kind of where Izzy wanted to go with it too, you know, because, you know, Sean Strickland's going to talk. You know, he's got no filter. He's going to talk a lot of crap, probably call him Chinese and everything else. You're my favorite Chinese fighter, you know, all this stuff. You know, but uh, I think Duplessis is a, a tougher matchup for Izzy. I don't think Strickland, like, I don't think he'll be able to take down Izzy like that. He's not really shown that's his style. And as far as on the feet, I don't see him actually even hitting Izzy. Izzy's going to be able to use his range and his leg kicks and his ability to make reads and feints and everything else. It's a higher fight IQ than Strickland, I believe. Strickland is a beast. He's a dog, but he looked great in his last fight. But I still feel like... You know, Izzy will win that fight if that does indeed happen. You know, that's another thing. What, what's up for Izzy? I think he has to fight Dreykus. If he beats Strickland, fight Dreykus, and then just move up to hopefully by then either we'll see what's good as far as uh, the light heavyweight division as well. Like if Pajero's champion, that's a no-brainer. You know, champ versus champ. The fight, again, they could be at 205, you know, so we'll see what happens with that. Paulo Casa still ranked. Yeah, he's he's got his fight with he's got his fight with Kamzat coming up. If that's another one, like are they really gonna show up? Are they not? Who knows? Hopefully, you know, I don't know. And then we still have uh, another actually on the undercard of um Let me get you the rankings again, because on the undercard of Aljo, I don't have the women's in here together with the men's. Oh, there it is. Yeah, so on the undercard, you're going to have Zhang Wei Li, and that's August 19th in Boston as well. We're going to have... Um, and that's for the women's strawweight strap. We're going to have... Uh, Zhang Wei Li against Amanda Lemos. Um, let's see. That's going to be... Or actually, hold on. Let me see where I... This is actually under something else here coming up. I was just looking at the rankings here because now you got Tatiana Suarez going to definitely be um, moving up in that in that division for sure. So, I mean, that's all, that's going to be something you got to... that we're going to have to... 
do. Okay, let me try to bring this up real quick. Talk about this briefly because there's gonna they're fighting soon anyway next weekend. So, yeah. So this is you know we got Zhang Wei Li twenty three and three against Amanda Lemos thirteen and two. Um, this is a good matchup right here, striker versus striker on paper. But uh, Zhang Weili Zhang has really leveled up as far as training with Henry Cejudo and getting her wrestling down, ground and pound game. She always had the kind of jujitsu like submission. She kind of came into the UFC even before the UFC as kind of a, a almost like a Ronda Rousey, getting the takedown the first round, armbar, armbar. She had a lot of armbar finishes in the first round, so she definitely has some jujitsu chops to go along with some devastating explosive speed and power and just you know she's a little tornado in there you know lemos is more of a technical muay thai style fighter a lot of power tough as nails but i i just i feel like jean is going to overwhelm her in every aspect she's going to be especially now that she's leveled up her takedowns and wrestling game i think she's just gonna i mean i don't want to say destroy her or whatever i mean it'll be an interesting fight and lemos does have power Whaley does throw herself into the fire and might get hit. If it's just stand-up, I could see that. I mean, you know, they're both 5'4", about to, you know, two-inch reach advantage for Amanda Lemos. So, I mean, that's definitely the cardio. I would have to say Whaley, she's been in five-round wars now. She's been in, you know, she's been in title fights. She's had a lot of experience against top-notch. Lemos is definitely the biggest step of test of her career. But uh, we'll have to wait and see on this one. Um so that's why I, got. I think, you know, yeah, Whaley is definitely going to probably run away with that fight. I don't see too much uh, threat that Lemos is is um, posing on that one. But, um, yeah, that that's, that is crazy. Um, so let me go back to events because we got we also have the another champ coming on. And that's uh, is that this fight? No, that ain't zombie. Grasso Shevchenko rematch. So that's okay. That was the one Shavkat was supposed to be on. That's right. This is a fight night, and we're and uh, this is for the women's flyweight uh, strap. So I mean, this is definitely going to be must-watch TV. The rematch of Alexa Grasso and Valentina Shevchenko. Like basically, Shevchenko was champ and looking like invincible, only really losing to what Nunez twice. One was iffy, and uh, she really was pretty much just destroying everybody, right? Like making it look easy in any way she wanted to. And 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 in comes Alexa Grasso, the lovely, talented Alexa Grasso, who comes in with a mix of boxing, jujitsu, scrambling style. And nice counter wrestling, but really just a good footwork, good a uh, lot of power, and just a high fight IQ as well. The way she was able to finish Valentina, look for that opening, actually trained for it to take her back, and got her neck immediately and tapped her. So I mean, uh, th- that fight is so intriguing because, you know, this this will solidify what Alexa Grasso did. You know, that night, Shevchenko wants to. Shevchenko has been kind of just like, oh, I made a mistake. I was winning the fight and then made one mistake. I feel like Shevchenko just, it was a game plan thing. And there was, she had, Grasso turned Shevchenko into a wrestler in that fight. Shevchenko's known for her striking. She's the Muay Thai, you know, multiple times, six, seven times, Muay Thai champ, whatever, 18, whatever it is, crazy number, right? Just destroyer on the feet, impeccable timing, just great precision, real sharp, accurate, all that, right? Just has the, I said the UFC resume also to knockouts, crazy knockouts, you know. So I mean, it's like, but Alexa Grasso comes in with her boxing style, really good head movement, quick, and really good basics, and just a good understanding of and a, a very high fight IQ. And she's hungry, and now she has the belt. You know, they're both five five, uh, one inch reach advantage for Shevchenko, half inch in the legs. Um, yeah, I mean, this fight is just who knows what's going to happen in this fight. I mean, I'm favoring Alexa Grasso in this fight. This fight is still like next month or, yeah, this next month. We still got some time for this, about a month away. But I'm favoring Alexa Grasso for this fight as well. I'll just touch on this briefly because I'll probably make another video on this one later when the card comes closer because Gaslam was supposed to fight Shafkat in this this card on the undercard of the co-main and uh, Gaslam got injured, was had to pull out. 
So now they're looking for an opponent, possibly for Shafkat, which I think I heard uh, Kevin Holland throw his name in the hat, which that'd be interesting. Why not? You know, that just that's another guy who's like a Nate Diaz or, you know, I mean, like he's a fan favorite, not on the same level as a Nate Diaz, but I'm saying as far as that, even when if he loses, he doesn't really lose much because he's willing to fight anybody at any time and almost pretty much at any weight. So, I mean, that's what's interesting um, about uh, Holland. And he has a mouthpiece, you know, he could talk. They don't call him big mouth for nothing, you know, <laughs> motor mouth, big mouth, whatever mouth. He's, he's, he's good. He's, you know, I, I, I like him, you know, definitely a fan favorite. He had a huge uh, reception in Utah as well. But back to this fight. Yeah. I mean, right now I'm favoring Grasso to repeat. Cause I just, the mindset of Shevchenko. Yeah. She's going to train her butt off. She's has a championship mentality, but she's thinking that it was just the one mistake that led her to that. And I think she might just come out and straight try to wrestle even more. I think that might open up Grasso to prepare for that a little bit better because she was not prepared for Shevchenko to be wrestling her for five rounds or four rounds, whatever. So, I mean, you know, this way now she, she I think even in the loss, I think Grasso has a lot more to improve on in, in this next fight. I mean, in the win, I mean, than Shevchenko did in the loss because of her mindset and, and what she's thinking. There was just one boneheaded mistake she made, kind of like the wide men against uh, Rockhold type mistake or if I didn't do that and this yeah but it's and you know there's still there's still much of the fight went after that well I mean well not much of it it was over pretty quick so it was Grasso got her back tapped her out but it was one mistake it was still a snowball effect you still had opportunities to defend other positions before that so I think Grasso was just definitely trained for that specifically and now she's going to train more on her takedown defense it's not like Shevchenko some world-class wrestler she's a judo you know, she has great judo throws and stuff like that, but that's something Grasso could prepare for better. And the boxing-wise, definitely boxing range Grasso and mixing up kicks and boxing and hands was Grasso. You know, she she was did everything better. She MMA'd better. She transitioned everywhere better. Shevchenko was one of those two stiff there, waiting, waiting, waiting. She's a good counter fighter, but uh, and just she had the takedown. She had maybe a strength advantage. And their timing with her kickboxing, she could also use that as a transition or use it as a tool with her takedowns. And, you know, like I said, her strength and stuff like that, being able to hold her down a lot. But it also wore herself out, I believe. And I think that's why she made that mistake, where it was a desperation. wasn't really a, a good spot for a spinning kick, you know, or spinning attack, like when they're up against the cage. Or I think it was a bit more, the timing of it wasn't right, the positioning. So... It definitely was a mistake she made, but I've, you know, early pick, I'm still going with Grasso to re, to keep her title, you know. And, uh, yeah, so, I mean, really, I've talked about pretty much almost everything I wanted to talk about. Uh, yeah, shit, the only thing is really Islam and Charles in Abu Dhabi. I mean, that's one to talk about right there still. That's, that's a crazy... Uh, Rematch, you know, um, Charles versus Islam. Let me bring that up real quick and then we'll get out of here. But uh, let's see what we got here. Okay, so for the lightweight title belt in Abu Dhabi, we got Islam, the champ. Only one loss against uh, uh, Adriano Martins, I believe his name is, the guy who just hits like a truck. Think he's in the UFC anymore against Charles Dubronx, who's fought everybody, you know, and had wars with everybody except Islam. Islam made it look easy in their first fight. And uh, I do think Charles obviously has a lot to learn from his last fight and could do a good job with that. You know, like he could, he could, uh, I mean, he's definitely gonna have to. I think Islam hurt him on the feet first, so it's like you, you can't just say, like, I gotta just train wrestling, train wrestling. Islam's pretty rounded, you know, like. He's not as reckless as Habib. Khabib would come in recklessly just running at you because he didn't care. And he, he, he had pretty unconventional striking, but effective, you know. But also, he had that threat of the takedown. But he'll come and run and do flying knees just to start their fight. He don't care just because he don't care where the fight ends up. He's just coming to maul you and attack you in every, at every second, every chance he gets to get his hands on you. 
And when he gets on top, it's more ferocious type ground and pound, takes chances. But, you know, just he's been doing it a lot longer, probably a little better at keeping the control. But Islam's more like he's not going to take those chances on the ground as much. He's not going to lose his position. He's not going to come crazy flying. Charles Oliveira is more reckless when it comes to it. In these two, in this matchup, Oliveira comes in, guns blazing. You know, stomp before with that, you know, that Muay Thai style, throwing a lot of shots, throwing, doing a lot of things immediately, putting himself in danger as well against Islam. You know, uh, Charles has got his eyes fixed, I think, now. I don't know if he had some surgery or whatever it was, but he leveled up that, so that could help his vision, maybe a little better head movement if he sees the punches coming a little better. So, I mean, there's definitely some improvements Oliveira can make, but I think it would be a mistake to only sure up. I think he's to sure up his stand-up defense as well because he does get hit a lot. If you look in every fight, he's rocked almost every fight. I mean, Chandler, Poirier, Gagey, Makachev, everybody who fights uh, Oliveira almost in the last at least on the last five, six fights, have been able to drop him or hurt him. And he's come back and weathered a lot of those storms and, you know, defeated all those other guys. In other words, I mentioned other than Islam. Islam's the one guy who had him hurt and immediately was able to jump on him and finish him when the other guys did not want to jump down to there in his guard or on the ground with him, let him back up. Islam's, that's his world. He wants to be down there and, and inch his way up to you making a mistake and then, getting the finish so I still got a favorite I mean I, I love Dubronx Charles Overa one of my favorite fighters you know been seen as I've watched his whole career since he was like 18 you know down at uh 145 and I just I still favor Islam in this fight I, I mean I feel like Charles definitely can improve his wrestling game stuff like that you know if he I think he needs to be a little more defensively responsible on the feet try not to get hit with a big shot be a little more patient maybe make Islam come first and then counter, but that's not really DeBronx style. He's attacking once he's in there. He's constantly throwing, he, just like his, his jiu-jitsu game, you know, is constantly attacks, transitioning from submission to submission. So, I mean, yeah, so I don't know. I still favor Islam in that matchup, and um, that will, I mean, if Oliveira wins, it kind of just puts it right back. You know, he's got interesting matchups, but there's a lot of guys Islam has not fought yet, and he hasn't fought Gagey, who just won the BMF bout, who, if Gagey doesn't get that Connor fight, I think he should get this net, the winner of this fight, you know, either way, because he lost Oliveira. Also, he rocked Oliveira, but got finished in the first round. But that's a fresh matchup with Islam, and he has his all-American wrestling background against Dagestani-style wrestling, and that'd be interesting. That's interesting to see, you know, and the, but they both can strike, too. So there's definitely some crazy matchup if Islam does win, because he hasn't fought these guys yet. A lot of the guys in the top five, but uh, Charles Oliveira, I mean, can never count the guy out. The most submissions in UFC history. I mean, dangerous everywhere on the feet. Hit Gagey said that's the hardest he ever been hit. I mean, he's rocked a lot of dudes just on the feet. Look, we did Michael Chandler after really getting 10 8 in the first round, getting destroyed in the first round, barely survived. Comes back, beginning of the second round, not or TKOs Michael Chandler, rocks him on the feet, left hook, jumps on him, finishes it. I mean, he's a killer. Like, he's always looking for the finish. He don't even have that many decisions. Most of his stuff is finishes. So, I mean, yeah, he's definitely coming for the kill. He's coming for that head and uh, coming for the throat and uh, the jugular. But, uh, yeah, that's all I got. Um, uh, yeah, Schizo Radio MMA. Follow me on Instagram, schizo.jitsu. Same on Twitter, YouTube channel. Uh, like, subscribe. See you next time. UFC 292 coming up. So, a lot of stuff, a lot of interesting stuff happening right now. In UFC, boxing, uh, influencer boxing, whatever, you know, all just combat sports in general right now is blowing up. Um, that's all I got. See you next time.